Hello, this is Sandra Davidson with Bitten Grain. Welcome to the first episode of Lo and Behold, our new podcast. We are so happy to have you. With Father's Day right around the corner, this week we're taking a look at dads. You'll hear from a single parent father who's made it his life's mission to work with others in his position. You'll hear a family reflect on the importance of their dad. And at the end, you'll hear from our audience who we asked to submit stories about their fathers. Hold on tight, they're funny. Dads are important. Fatherhood is not something that we should just desire or want. It's a necessity. We need fathers and fathers need to be in the picture. That's Glenn Warren, founder of Fathers Forever, a Raleigh-based nonprofit that helps facilitate and restore the relationship between fathers and their children. Wake County fathers who are delinquent on child support enroll in Fathers Forever for 24 weeks of education and counseling. Since 2010, Fathers Forever has graduated over 300 men. Glenn's desire to help struggling fathers arose from his own life experiences. After two decades of working in human services with many clients who grew up without fathers and raising three children on his own, Glenn knows a lot about fatherhood. My wife and I were married 15 years and we decided we were going to separate. And I said, you can go, but my kids are staying with me. So I became a single father. Uh, my kids was uh, 11, 9, and 7, two boys and a girl. And mind you, I grew up in the country, so my father's philosophy was boys out in the field working, hogs, chickens, whatever, women in the, in the, in the house. So I never learned how to cook. So now I'm standing in my, my living room with my three kids and down on me, I don't know jack about cooking. I don't even know how to boil water, really. But I got to learn how to cook. I got three kids. And the first time I made spaghetti, I put the hamburger in the frying pan and, you know, fried it all up. It had the noodles boiling. And I, I picked up the hamburger with all the grease in it and poured it into the bowl with all the noodles. It was it was tough. But I grew up in a household with my dad. My dad was there with us all of our, all of our lives. So I, I, I know the power of fathers. I tell guys all the time, if it for my dad, I'd be... I would have been in jail. I mean, I would, not because I was a bad person, but because I was hanging around with some people that was bad. What I would have been, and my daddy wouldn't let me do it. So, you, you know, your child should be standing on your shoulders. They can't stand on your shoulders if you, you, know, if you don't give them the platform to stand on. But once you do, when you die, they can look back and say, you know, my daddy did some good stuff. He wasn't a perfect man, but he really, you know, helped me to do a lot of things. Many can attest to the significance of fathers. The Temple family can. On a recent weekend, I met with Daryl and Bonnie Temple of Bun Level. Married for 42 years, Daryl and Bonnie have raised two children together. With over three decades of parenting under their belt, I asked the couple and their daughter, Anne, to share some reflections about Daryl's parenting. I, I've always thought Dad has like hung the moon. When I was in kindergarten, we had to do these little drawings every day. Well, it had to be one of the first things that I did there. The subject was... When I get hungry, I ask who for help, and I put, I wrote that, I asked my daddy for help in the kitchen to get me food. <laughs> she drew the picture of him and her. Yeah. yeah. My dad feeds me. <laughs> yeah. I said, dad did everything. Pretty sure dad's never been in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and she brought that picture home that day. It's, I still have it. It hangs on mom's refrigerator still to this day. But even though that was a lie, Dad always had a way with 
any issues y'all have. You remember the issues that y'all used to have? Your truth mm. issue. Your yeah, that and I dealt with it as long as I could and until I thought I was gonna go crazy and they drive me crazy over it. She was in the true confession period of telling everything that she did at daycare, her thoughts in her head, saying cuss words and if she broke a cookie and throwed some crumbs under the bed, she'd come running in the kitchen and tell me and and I'd say, Well Aunt, it's just a phase you're going through, it'll be fine. I, every day, every day. It was some kind of confession. So I come out and said, Daryl, I've done I've done everything I need to do. So the next thing I know, called her in there. She got her in her lap, his lap, and said, Okay, what's this what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? Mama says you're wanting to confess about everything you do and that you're saying cuss words in your head and you can't get them out. And uh, Gerald explains, they're just words, honey. I say them, they're just words, it's okay. He said, this is a solution, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go in your bedroom and I want you to put your head up under the pillow and I want you to say as many cuss words as you want to say into that pillow. And when you come out, don't come out till you're satisfied. When you come out, you'll be fine. And that was true, wasn't it? Yeah, it worked out all right. In these moments where Bonnie came to you and said, I've had enough, do you ever think, what would my dad have done? I've always told him you got to get in your head and try to figure out what's wrong. If me and you get in an argument, i got to try to figure out why you're arguing with me, why you think you're right, and why I think I'm right. I have to come to the conclusion that you are right or that I am right, and then I've got to convince you of that. Okay, when every time that they have a problem or something like that, you got to think about it for a few minutes and figure out why they're upset with yourself, why what's going on, and you got to get in their head. I reckon there's only way you can say it. And once you figure out what's in their head, then you got to figure out how to get it out. Dad's always been a bit of a perfectionist to say the least, so if it's not done right, then it's essentially not done at all. Do it the best you can. When you do something, do it as good as you possibly can, then if it's not perfect, it may be okay. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much what Jonathan and I have always lived by. Dads can be characters. Mine is definitely one. He once caused a highway patrolman to do a 180 across the median because he was too busy singing along to a Melissa Etheridge song in his old teal Dodge Caravan to notice he was doing 80 in a 55. If you're lucky enough to find yourself next to him at a stoplight, you'll either hear a Bob Dylan song or an audio lecture about the Roman Empire or Napoleon. It just depends on the day. I'm not alone in this realm, the realm of the zany dad. And in the final segment of this episode, we introduce you to several fans who shared or submitted stories about their dads. You'll first hear from Marshall of Bowie's Creek with a story about how his dad dealt with Marshall's ploy to torture him. Then from Scott of Newburn about the time he brought his father to a frat party. And last, we conclude with a story about a dad who played a honey I shrunk myself trick on his daughter. The story of a woman whose dad is, as she calls it, a poop doctor and finally, a daughter's story of her gun-toting, tractor-driving, 91-year-old father. One of the first things I remember about my dad is 
I, I even as a kid, I used to stay up at like two or three in the morning, and I used to have like a bunch of stuffed animals. I used to have this rabbit, and it was like in a Yankees uniform. And one night, I decided it would be a good idea to hide it. So I hid it like in like a, a location that he wouldn't be able to pick out normally. And I went in his bedroom. It was two in the morning. He had to get up at like you know six and go to work. And I was like, Dad, wake up. I've lost, I've, I forget his name. It's like I've lost my bunny that I sleep with. And I was probably in kindergarten. And he went in there and he tried to find it. And he went in different rooms of the house trying to find it. It was never like upset or anything. But like, you know, put probably put like a good 30 minutes to an hour into trying to find this bunny that I'd like intentionally hid. And so finally, after all that, he was like, he's like, I don't know where it could be. Like, we'll look for it in the morning. And I was like, well, check under that table right there. It could be under there. And he lifted it up, and that's where I'd hidden it. And I just remember him, like, he went, <sighs> he's like a deep breath and just looked at me. <laughs> he didn't say anything. And he just went back to bed. And he's kind of, he's just like the most patient person. He's always exhibited that. So my sophomore year of college, you know, dad had bought the apartment up at NC State, and I invited him up to, to stay and kind of release his inner child and, and hang out with us a little bit. You know, Buster's about 57, 58 years old at this time. So while he's on the way up, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with him, and I, I called up. You know, one of my good friends who's in a fraternity at NC State living off of Vanderbilt, and uh, they were going to have a rush party that night. Not just a frat party, a rush party. All right, this is a different level here. I'm like, okay, you know, sh wh why not? Let's take Dad out here, all right? So Buster shows up, and before going to the frat party, I wanted to kind of loosen him up a little bit. So we go out, we bowl. After a couple games of bowling and about six buckets of beer, we leave to go back to the rush party. We're headed down the street. We roll up, get, I don't know, half a mile from the frat house, and you can hear it. So we get up to it, and there are just people all over the front yard, all right, all in the back. I mean, so Dad's twice, almost triple everybody's age. And he's rolling up, a little white mustache, standing about five six, those little glasses on and his comb-over haircut. Next thing I know, I lost him. I'm looking around, I'm like, Dad, like, where where, where is he? Where'd he go? Go up to the second floor, and he's in one of the other guys' rooms, surrounded by about six girls. And he's over here. He's got all of them doubled over laughing. So uh, while that's going on, I go back downstairs. You know, I'm having a good time. I'm out back. Next thing I know, I, I hear a roar from inside. You know, this is about an hour later. I'm like, what? <laughs> all right, what's going on now? So I go in there. Dad's sinking cups left and right in beer pong. I mean, just smoking them. You know, and he looks over at me. He's like, "Boy, why you tell me about this game? I'm good at this. I'm good at this." And I tell you, since then, even to this day, as soon as somebody starts talking about beer pong, he's the first one to chime in. He's like, "You give me a ping pong ball. See what I can do with it." You know, I mean, he's just all over it, just <laughs> lighting it up. I'm like, "What am I doing in college? I need to go back home and take care of mom. Let you stay up here." You know, <laughs> it's, it's hello. This is Alice Rad calling. Um. I am from Charlotte, North Carolina, and, well, I hope you guys have about three hours because here we go. <laughs> um, I have many, many fond memories of my dad. He has a very odd sense of humor and kind of kind of a dark sense of humor, but also really silly. I do remember this one particular instance. I think I was four or five, and we were all home, and it was during the summer, and my dad always would call us. And 
I don't know why. I think he had told my mom not to answer the phone so we could leave a message on our answering machine. Yes, it was the early 90s. And he called one time and left, you know, a message. And I was right there. And he and he was, he was leaving his message. He was like, ah, help me. Get me out of here. I'm stuck in here. And I started going ballistic, freaking out that my dad was stuck in this little box on our end table. And my mom was, you know, like, oh, my gosh, no, he's kidding. Like, it's fine. He's joking around. And I was convinced that my dad was stuck in the answering machine box. And to this day, that still pisses me off, thinking that he was stuck in that box on a sick joke. Hi, my name is Anita Rao. I live in Carborough, North Carolina. And uh, one of my favorite things about my dad is how his career uh, has played a really funny role uh, in our life. So my dad is a gastroenterologist, which means he's a doctor of the stomach and intestines, but he focuses especially on the very lower end of that. Most of his research is on the anus and the rectum. So growing up, those were two words that were not uncomfortable for me to hear or say. It was totally normal to fart at the dinner table. Uh, we, should, we, we were told not to be ashamed of any kind of bowel movement or anything <laughs> thereof. Um, and one of the really funny stories about one of uh, my dad's uh, research interests is that he does a lot of work with people with severe constipation, and he actually has patented uh, fake poop. And so when we were in elementary school, we would always, you know, tell our friends that, you know, our dad has invented something and he actually invented fake poop. And apparently one day uh, when my sister was in first or second grade, she went to school and everyone sort of reports what's going on in their house. And she said, my dad just got in a big shipment of fake poop. But at the time, my sister had um, many missing front teeth and a, a pretty big lisp. We found out many years later from one of her good friends later in life that many of the kids in the class hadn't heard the words that she said correctly and had gone home and told their parents that my dad had gotten a big shipment of fake boobs in the mail. So that's just one of many memories I have of um, being the daughter of what many would call a poop doctor. Uh, I love my dad and his uh, dedication to Work that many people laugh about that he takes really seriously, I think, has actually helped many patients and people around the world, and uh, I'm very proud of him for it. Um, this is Kathy Ritchie. I want to tell you a couple of stories about my daddy, who's a Burley Mountain man, um, and he has been the joy of my life, but he's also been the tears and the worry of my life. He's 91 years old, and um, he is living alone fairly independently. Just a few years ago, maybe five or six, I went to the mountains where he lives, and when I pulled up to the top of the mountain, there he was on his big old John Deere tractor, and he had my mama in the bucket out on the front of that of that tractor, and I was just flipping out, and I was screaming, what are you doing, what are you doing, and he kept throwing his hands out, get back, get back, me and your mama's dumping the trash, well, yeah, he had her up there in the bucket, so she could dump the trash when he got down to the trash dump, he's a man of his own character and his own being, and then we have the time about three years ago, he might have been 88 or 89, um, he was coming back from town in his pickup, and he pulled into the mailbox, which is about a half a mile from where his house is, and 
So his driveway's on the left, his mailbox is on the right, and he's got this land that's on either side of his driveway, and his driveway's about, oh, I don't know, a quarter to a half mile long. So he pulls on the right side to get his mail out of the mailbox, and he looks across the road, and there's a crow on his land. So he gets out his shotgun that he carries in his truck, because he carries an arsenal in there, and he gets it out, and he takes his gun, sticks it out the window, and he proceeds to shoot the crow across the, the, the road. Well, in the meantime, a car is coming. He didn't see the car, and the, when the car was passing his truck, he didn't see it, and he shot, and it blew out the windshield, and the car wrecked. Thankfully, the man was not killed. The man was not hurt, um, and we had to we had to give him a little tongue lashing over that. But he swore that it was not his fault if that crow had not been on his land. It, he wouldn't have had to shoot out the window. He's 91 years old, and he feels this uh, sense of entitlement because he's lived to be 91 years old. And I hope everybody in the world is fortunate enough to see their daddy grow to be 91 years old because um, it's an experience. That's all we've got for y'all today. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our emails at bittengrain.com. You'll get one North Carolina story every Wednesday morning. Thanks again for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Lo and Behold, coming to you soon from Bitten Grain.